so good to be with you again this evening. There is a, um, a, a touching and an important scene in the life of David and Jonathan found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20. David informs Jonathan in the first few verses that Saul, Jonathan's father, has every intention to kill him. In fact, he speaks to Jonathan and he says, there is but a step between me and death. That's about how I felt last Thursday. He informed Jonathan that, uh, or he, he spoke with Jonathan and uh, helped to put together a plan in which, uh, which would allow David to flee, which would allow him to escape and save his life. When we get down to about verse number 11, Jonathan speaks to David and says, let's go out into a field, presumably to get away from earshot of anyone who might be listening. And the two of them entered into a covenant of friendship with one another. Jonathan said oh, to David, verse 12, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow, any time or the third day, and behold, if there's good toward David, and I then send it not unto you and show it unto you, then the Lord do so and much more uh, to Jonathan, to me. But if my father chooses to do evil unto you, then I will show you. I will send you away so that you may go in peace and the Lord may be with you as he has been with my father. And you will not only, while I live, show kindness to me that I die not, but also you will not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And, and Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For, <clears throat> excuse me, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This arrangement simply was to, between Jonathan and David <clears throat> that Jonathan was going to do as, <clears throat> excuse me, as David asked in helping him to escape from the hand of Saul and in response to that, David would show kindness to Jonathan, not only during his life, but after he was gone, David would continue to show kindness even to the descendants of Jonathan. This was the agreement that they entered into. Now, we're not going to study this context tonight, but it is really the important background of the context we are going to study, which is in the book of 2 Samuel I want you to look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm not sure what the bulletin says the lesson is supposed to be tonight, but it ain't it. Whatever's there is only there because Karen made me give her something two weeks in advance before we went to camp. She's a demanding taskmaster, but I love her so much and couldn't imagine working without her. And I mean that, maybe. By the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, there are a great number of things that have transpired between 1 Samuel 20 and this point in 2 Samuel 9. Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. Abner is dead. Ishbosheth is dead. And now the kingdom, both the northern and the southern kingdom, have united together under the rule of David. 
He is now the king of Israel, and there are no threats to his life or to his kingship any longer. Now, as we look at what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 9, knowing what's transpired and knowing where David is at this point in his life and in his kingship, it is important to notice that the events that transpire in this particular chapter, they are all based on what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And what they tell us is that David was a man who chose not to forget his word. When David made a covenant, David stayed true to the covenant. When David made a promise, David remained faithful to his promise and even then some. And that's what we find in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It is all centered around, a, 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 around one of the seed of Saul whose name is Mephibosheth. Let's look at this chapter together. First of all, I want you to notice with me David's intention in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 to 4. David's intention, what he intended to do. Listen to 2 Samuel 9, verse 1 to 4. The Bible says that David asked, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul, so that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him into David, the king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Yes, I am, I am he. Your servant is he. And the king said, Is there not any one of the house of Saul left that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said to the king, Jonathan has yet a son who is lame at his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emiel in Lodibar. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 4. Now notice in these four verses that David, first of all, is seeking actively to show kindness to one of the house of Saul, I want you to notice the reason why he seeks to show this kindness unto the house of Saul. It's at the end of verse number 1. He's looking for someone so that he can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Kindness for Jonathan's sake. This is our connection to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Note, by the way, that David doesn't yet know that he's going to be showing kindness to one of Jonathan's sons only that he's looking for someone who is a descendant of Saul so that he might honor the covenant that he has made with Jonathan so many years ago. In fact, by the time we get to this point, we're 15 to 20 years after the events of 1 Samuel chapter 20. But I want you to stop for a moment and I want you to look carefully at this word kindness. It shows up three times in this chapter. And the word kindness, if you've heard this word before in the Hebrew language, is the word hesed. Now that's an interesting word, and it is packed, pregnant really, with so much meaning. There really is no direct English equivalent to this Hebrew word. And that's why, depending on the translation that you happen to be using, you will see a number of different words used for it. In fact, in different contexts throughout the Old Testament, when that word is used, you'll see a number of different translations. Here are some of the words that you'll find. Words like kindness here in our passage. You will also see the word loving kindness. You will also see the word mercy. 
and steadfast love and sometimes even faithfulness or faithful love all of those English words are found in your Old Testament and they are all translations of this one word has said and so David three times in 2nd Samuel chapter 9 says I'm looking for someone so that I can show this kindness show, so that I can show this loving kindness or mercy or steadfast love to someone who is of the house of Saul because I made a commitment I entered into a covenant agreement with Jonathan so long ago I want to fulfill the promise that I made in fact the definition of this word as it's used in 2nd Samuel chapter 9 is this loyalty to a solemn commitment it is loyalty to a solemn commitment Notice that this commitment for David is not affected by time. It's been 15 to 20 years since he made the promise. It's also not affected by circumstance. When David made the promise, when he entered into the covenant with, with Jonathan, he was in danger. His life was in danger. Now he's the king of Israel. There are no real uh, rivals to his throne. There are no real threats to his life at this point. And in fact... David could have chosen to forget the covenant that he had made. He could have said, well, you know, I made the covenant with Jonathan, but Jonathan is dead and so is Saul and everyone else. Look, I'm the king over Israel. What, what was done in the past doesn't really matter anymore. Let's just focus on the future and let's focus on the, pre, uh, the present and the future. But that's not the kind of person that David was. That's not the kind of man he was. He made a promise he entered into a covenant, and he is actively seeking for a way in which he can make good on the promise that he entered himself into. One commentator put it this way, a promise made in the past prompted fidelity in the present. And that's absolutely right. In his book on presidential anecdotes, Paul Bowler relays an account about uh, Franklin Roosevelt he says that Franklin Roosevelt made a speech in Pittsburgh in 1932 advocating restrained government spending. But in 1936, he intended to travel back to Pittsburgh, this time to speak in favor of government spending. So he asked his advisors how to manage an about-face on this subject without seeming two-faced, and they advised him simply this, deny that you made the speech in 1932. Now compare that with what we see with David in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David could have denied after 15 to 20 years that he had ever entered into this kind of an agreement, but that's not the kind of person that David was, and that's not the kind of thing that he was going to do. In fact, his willingness, his desire to make good on this promise reminds us the lesson here is the importance of keeping our word the importance of being faithful to our promises. Words like faithfulness, integrity, fidelity, words like trustworthiness ought to come to mind whenever we look at a context like this. Think about some of the covenants. Think about some of the promises that we make and that we enter into in this life. I can think of the two perhaps most important. First of all, there is the marriage covenant. 
whenever a man and woman stand before uh, God and before man and they proclaim their love for one another, they enter into the covenant relationship of marriage. They enter into a covenant with one another and they enter into a covenant with God. And we have vows that we take whenever we're married and those vows say something like, we're going to honor and cherish and love one another in sickness and in health in uh, poverty or in, uh, in, um, uh, in riches, and then we say, until death do us part. Now, the unfortunate reality is that in our world, there are a whole lot of people that get to a point where they forget that they made that promise. They forget that they entered into that covenant. But we can't forget about the covenant. We can't forget about the promise that we make. We can't just simply deny that we ever entered into the promise whenever we change our mind and we want to do something a little bit different. But instead, like David, we have to recognize, number one, this is a serious commitment. It is a serious covenant. But number two, whether we're talking about 5, 10, 15, 20, or 75 years, whether we're talking about the best of times or the worst of times, we've got to stay true and faithful to that covenant. And not just that, but we ought to actively seek ways to make sure that we reaffirm our uh, intention to be faithful to that covenant. But then, I guess the most important relationship or promise, if you will, that a person makes is when they become a Christian. When we obey the gospel and we stand before, we stand before people and we make the good confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Essentially, what we're doing is we are saying to man and to God, I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and I intend to give my life to him, and so long as I draw breath on this earth, I will be faithful to him. That's a promise. That's a covenant, if you will, that we enter into with our God whenever we obey the gospel. But how many times have we seen it? A little bit of time goes by, and that fire, that excitement and passion and zeal that characterized a person when they first obeyed the gospel begins to sort of uh, die, uh, die away. It, it gets smaller and smaller until ultimately the world enters in and the fire is quenched and we turn our back on the commitment that we made to our God. We've got to be faithful to the covenants that we make. And like David, we've got to be those who are saying, look, it's been a while. Circumstances have changed. Time has gone on, but I made this promise. I made this covenant and I must stay faithful. I must stay true to what I promised. We need to keep our word. Look at verse 5 through 8 now. Now let's look at David's promise. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 5 through 8. He sends out, verse number 5, Ziba to go and fetch Mephibosheth out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now the Bible tells us that when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and he did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as me? I want you to notice in these verses that David promises three things to Mephibosheth. Three things. Number one, David promises protection. 
Notice that Mephibosheth's initial reaction whenever he comes before David is to fall on his face and do reverence before him. And the first thing that David says to him is, do not fear. Why? The reason is because the common practice in that day and in that culture is that when one king defeats the previous king, his house and all of those who were loyal to him and anyone who could potentially pose a threat to the new king's rule would be killed. And the property would be taken by the king. And Mephibosheth, he may have been handicapped, but his handicap was not with his mind. He knew this practice. He knew this habit very well. And it's not out of bounds, I don't think, to assume that when Ziba comes and fetches Mephibosheth, he's thinking in the back of his mind, well, this might be it. David has been hunting and he's been searching and he's been looking for anyone left who might be of the line of Saul, who might mean him any harm, and he's found me and now my life is over. And that may very well be why David says, do not be afraid. You have nothing to fear here. That's protection. He promises him protection. The second thing he promises him is provision. Look what he says. Verse number 7. He says, Do not fear, because I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore unto you all of the land of, uh, of Saul, your father. The land that had belonged to Saul, that belong, had belonged to Jonathan, which would have belonged to Mephibosheth, had been taken by the crown. And David says, I'm going to restore this to you. I'm going to give this back to you. And in fact, if you keep reading ahead to the next section, verse number 9 and 10, because Mephibosheth is handicapped and unable to work this land, David, uh, David uh, uh, sends Ziba and uh, others and tells them, you're going to go work this land for Mephibosheth, which would have provided for him income, which would have provided for him uh, wealth and the things that he needed in order to live and to thrive. David promises provision. He also promises position. He says at the end of verse number 7, you will eat bread at my table continually. Now, that's not language intended to mean that, Dave, that Mephibosheth was literally going to sit at David's dinner table every night. It's really the idea that you're going to be welcome in my court for the rest of your life. Now, that is the greatest honor that could be given to any person, to be given a place in the court of the king and to have been told you are going to be welcome there essentially for the remainder of your life. So David promises him protection. David promises him provision. David promises him position. And here's an important point to notice. If you go back and look closely at 1 Samuel 20, verse 14 and 15, what you will find is that the covenant that David entered into with Jonathan only included preserving life. The only thing David promised to do is keep Jonathan and those of his seed alive. What has David done in 2 Samuel chapter 9? He has gone above and beyond. He's gone the extra mile. He has done far more for Mephibosheth than what he originally promised to do. I want you to stop with me for just a moment and think about some, some application of this. I want you to go back and I want you to look at verse number 3. And notice in verse number 3 that when David uses the word kindness, he doesn't just say kindness. In this case, he says it's the kindness of God. The kindness of God. 
Remember that this word kindness is the word has said, and it can be translated loving kindness. It can be translated mercy. It can be translated faithfulness and a number of other, other different things. But David is doing something important here. He's saying, I'm not just going to show you any kindness. It's a kindness that is connected with or modeled after God. So how do we see God showing this kindness? If we can leave this context just for a moment. Listen to Psalm 23 and verse number 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's provision. John chapter 6 and verse number 33. The Father gives you the true bread from heaven. That's provision. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 32. The, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul said that there is, um, there is nothing that is going to be able to uh, I'm sorry, he that spared not his own son, but de he delivered him up for, uh, for us all, how shall he not with him also give us freely all things? That's provision. In the Old Testament, the most well-known, perhaps, use of this word in reference to God is found in Psalm number 136, where the word has said is used 26 times. 26 times in Psalm 136 as part of the refrain, his, his faithful love or his loyal love endures forever. In that psalm, it's applied to God's work in creation. It is applied to God's reign in heaven and also to his military victories. But other places in the Bible, it is used, for example, in Exodus 15 to describe God's act of making redemption possible. Also, his mercy and forgiveness in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 19 and his faithfulness in the covenant that he made with his people in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 9. Now, what does all of this mean and how does it all apply to 2 Samuel chapter 9? Let me point you to one more passage in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, Be imitators of God as dear children. What that tells me is that as a child of God, to the best of my ability, the qualities of God are to be seen in me. Now, we're talking about a very big quality of God in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're talking about his hesed, his mercy, his faithfulness, his loving kindness, and all of the other things in which this word, uh, all of the other things which this word is used to describe about God. David said in 2 Samuel 9 and verse number 3, I want to show the kindness, I want to show the faithfulness of God to this man. If we're called to imitate our God, we ought to do what David's trying to do and we ought to try to the best of our ability and show the kindness of God to others as David is trying to show it to Mephibosheth. We see God's kindness manifested in so many different ways in our life and throughout the pages of Scripture and I think that we can say without any hesitation that like David, even more than David, God has gone above and beyond the call of duty, if you will, in showing his kindness and his mercy to humanity. But look how David builds on this. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. I want you to notice David's blessing. David's intention in verses 1 to 4, find me somebody so that I can fulfill the promise that I made. I want to show the kindness of God to someone who is a descendant of Saul. Then David promises in verse 5 through 8 to Mephibosheth, look, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to put you in a position of honor. Now, in verse 9 and following, look at the emphasis on the one who receives 
That's Mephibosheth. I want you to listen to what's said about Mephibosheth in verse 9 to 13. The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto, unto your master's son all that pertained to Saul and to his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants will till the land for him. You will bring in the fruit that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, will eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that the Lord the king has commanded his servant, so shall your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he will eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was uh, uh, Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Now, what have we learned about Mephibosheth already uh, in verses 9 through 13? Look at the emphasis. He was given land in verse 5 through 8, but in verse 9 to 13, he doesn't have the physical ability to work it. So David says, I'm going to send people to work it for you. They're going to work Mephibosheth's land, but Mephibosheth isn't going to necessarily enjoy the fruits of that of that harvest because he's going to be in Jerusalem with David in his court eating at, eating at his table. Mephibosheth has a son, but Mephibosheth is, Mephibosheth is lame at his feet. Verse number 13. You see, it seems to me that what the Holy Spirit is doing in this context, verse 9 to 13, is he is emphasizing, he is emphasizing the handicap of Mephibosheth in this section, and for good reason. You see, Mephibosheth is the enemy of David. He's of the, he is of the enemy regime. He's of Saul's line. He is physically unable to defend himself and to help himself, and therefore he is completely and totally at the mercy of David. Completely and totally at his mercy. Now, why would that be a significant point? Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10? In that context, as he reflects on the mercy of God, he says this, For when we were yet without strength, was Mephibosheth without strength? In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, will be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, was Mephibosheth David's enemy? We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we will be saved by his life. One thing you need to remember about this Old Testament word has said is that, again, there's no real direct English equivalent, which is why there are so many different English words used to translate that one Hebrew word throughout the Old Testament. But one thing about it is that it is most commonly seen in action. It manifests itself in action. God shows mercy, there's action. God shows love, there's action. God shows faithfulness, there's action. David seeks to make good on this covenant. He's seeking action. Well, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10, as we bring this to a close and reflect on Mephibosheth, the reality is that we all stand in his shoes, spiritually speaking, because just as Mephibosheth was completely unable to defend himself and to help himself and to provide for himself, so what? Romans 5, 6 through 10. 
Spiritually speaking, we are completely dependent upon the benevolent and merciful hand of God who has put forth his son as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, not just for anybody, but for those who are described as being helpless and those who are described even as being God's enemies. So we learn this wonderful lesson about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God from David and what he does in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now the question that uh, is left for us to consider is whether or not we are willing like David to try as best we can and imitate God in his goodness and in his kindness. And number one, show appreciation for the kindness of God as it's been demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus. But then number two, seek the best way that we can to show that same kind of, of kindness and faithfulness in keeping our word and being people of fidelity and integrity and also in trying to show kindness to other people, to help them and to serve them as uh, we ought. hope this lesson has been helpful to you tonight. It's an interesting study, encouraging. I'm going to offer the Lord's invitation. Maybe there's someone here tonight that has a need to respond, to become a Christian, a child of God. We stand ready and willing to help you in doing that. Maybe you are a Christian, and as you reflect on Mephibosheth and David and his kindness, you think, you know, I, I need to do better about this. I need to keep my word. I need to keep and be faithful to the covenants that I enter into, and I need to show kindness to people. Can we give you some encouragement? Can we pray with you? Can we help you in some way? If you have need, come forward. Let it be known while we stand and sing together.